When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Violin Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mogala, where I interview violinists from around the world. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Please be sure to subscribe for future episodes and give us a five-star rating. My guest today is one of Ireland's most recognized artists performing as a soloist all around the world. He is the founder of Steel Records, which has released four critically acclaimed albums and will be releasing an album with the Anacek Philharmonic conducted by Mark Shapiro featuring works by Philip Glass, and that'll be released in the fall of 2020. Looking forward to that conversation. And please let me welcome Gregory Harrington to the Violin Podcast. Greg, great to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on to the Violin Podcast. How are you doing during the craziness of this pandemic? You know, I've, I felt like I've had multiple conversations with multiple musicians about how they're doing during this pandemic. How are you doing? Uh, well, Eric, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm surviving, as they say. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to, to, um, to chat with you. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, as, I, you know, uh, as I said, really enjoyed uh, many of your podcasts. So this should be a, a fun journey. Um, Surely. You know, yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, I'm in New York City. Uh, so, and I've been here more or less for the duration uh, of, of the pandemic. So, you know, it's, it's been quite the ride. It's been quite the surreal experience. Uh, and we're at a stage where we're opening up now and it's much more um, uh, socially distant social, uh, which is a good thing. But, you know, uh, personally doing OK, um, I don't see the, and, and that this is something we can touch on, you know, uh, later, just, just to, in terms of how classical music and how musicians navigate uh, through this for, for, for the six to 12 to 18 month uh, you know, future, but it's, it's, it's going to be a hard transition out of this where, where life as we knew it, classical music as we knew it, is going to have to look at itself under, under a lens and see um, where, where to go. Yeah, and of course, we'll touch base on all of that later on in the podcast. But first, let's get to know you. Who are you? Who is Gregory Harrington? How did you get started on the violin? And tell us about your journey through the violin and how how that kind of guided you throughout your journey in life and to where you are today? Sure. Um, well, I started at the age of four. I was born in Dublin and I raised in Dublin uh, and I moved to New York uh, in 1999. So I think my early twenties, but I started the beer, a- by the way, the beer is good in Dublin, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the beer, the Guinness is, is quite spectacular. Oh man. Uh, I could use a Guinness right now. <laughs> as we say, it's always five o'clock somewhere. Um, yeah, it's, it's so, so, so grew up in Dublin. Um, well, I was four, uh, when I sort of first sort of experienced a violin, I was with my mother in the RDS horse jump, which is this international horse jumping, um, uh, festival or, uh, tournament. And there was a string quartet playing in the corner and I was sort of knee high to a grasshopper 
and I just, I, for some reason, I just loved the sound of the violin and I tugged her arm and I pointed to it and I said, I want to play that. Uh, and she was so delighted. She just brought me into this music store, McCullough Pickett's, which was the iconic music store at the time, uh, and bought this tiny little violin. And I went in, I, I started probably a month later. Um, I studied with the same teacher from the age of four to 18. Uh, and he was wonderful uh, in the terms of, in the sense of, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say technically phenomenal but he fostered and, and this is a thing that is so important he fostered the curiosity uh and and the just the and, and and brought me through everything i needed and just in a way that just kept me going forward at the right pace and just hungry uh to get more and he didn't have the answers to everything but it was just his name was kevin kiley and but it was just beautiful how he took me on this journey uh and and just just the more I look back on it, really navigated it so, so well to keep it from the frustrations. You, you, you know, as a kid, you, you have natural frustrations, but uh, to take you through everything, you know, from, from, from Carl Flesch to, uh, to Beethoven Violin Concerto. So, so it was just a, a beautiful experience with him. Uh, and then at the time I was uh, 18, uh, I was doing some recitals. I was doing concerts around Ireland and uh, I, I sort of made a decision, well, I didn't want to necessarily do music in, in University College Dublin or in Ireland because I wanted a, a teacher outside. I wanted a teacher, whether that's in England. And I met this soloist who was remarkable, uh, Marat Basingaliev. Uh, and he was from that Boris Balkan Russian school. Uh, he was playing with the National Symphony Orchestra. was at Lalo. Things the Lalo Symphony Espanol, and, and I went backstage and I met him, and we talked, and so he started taking me as a student. So I would go, uh, I would go once every six weeks over to him for a weekend, and you know, in that sort of old style uh, Russian mentor where, where where you have weekend lessons, and it's just it's just it's just an immersion thing, and it was really really good for me. So when I went into college, um, um, I didn't do music because uh, I, I was doing so much of it outside anyway. So I did, actually did a, a degree in business and Spanish. Uh, so majored in finance and marketing uh, and then a full, full arts degree in Spanish. And believe it or not, that part, I'm so happy I did because it's enabled me manage and do publicity and marketing and find a whole, the, the, you know, to separate the artist uh, from the artistic and, uh, and that side to the product. Uh, and knowing, knowing, knowing how you navigate that part of it. So, it's, so that was a uh, a very, very valuable uh, four years in in our in in Dublin and Madrid. And then when I was towards the end of that, I was still doing more concerts and some tours. And and I got a job in a company. Uh, and so I was doing uh, in the finance department, treasury department, finance department, um, and. I, you know, uh, I was working there six months full time just, just to get a little bit more money together so I could just go to, go to England and stuff like that. And then the, the, the CEO at the time, because um, I'd made my mind up, I was like, okay, I need, I need to just prep for, for auditions for about another year and then go over to, to the US and try, and try and see what I can do there. Uh, and the CEO was at a, a, a recital I was giving and you know, I already had that little entrepreneurial side. I was getting sponsorships from smaller companies, from like, you know, the Arnott's, which would be the equivalent of Macy's. So, you, you know, you have that sort of smaller stuff and some insurance companies uh, to help you through this. And then he said, look, what, what can I do for you? And at the time, I think 
it was towards the end, uh, you know, of, of a two-year stint that I'd done or a year and a half stint. And I said, well, actually, I need this amount for college uh, for the next three or so years uh, in the U.S. And I said, if you can help. That's a bold uh, ask, yeah, by well, the way. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and, and he was sort of phenomenal. And I, I could see the smile on his face when I said it. Because, you know, I was, I was this, this sort of, and I was, I was really sharp with what I did, you know, because I was, at the time, I was charging, you know, we were doing this, this, the, the, the euro from the Irish, but like it was, it was all this uh, stuff in the treasury that we were working on, which I was loving and was being really helpful in what I was doing at the company. Um, uh, so he, I, I knew he had a smile on his face when I said it and he came back to me a week later. He said, you know something, this is what I'll do. I'm going to sponsor whatever your tuition cost is, I'm going to give you half of it. Uh, so it was a wonderful gesture. Uh, and it was one that really, really helped me because, you know, uh, when you're coming such a long way, it, it is, it is a hard thing to do, you know, you know, to just to get up from your country, leave. Uh, and I think, you know, when you want something, when, you know, there is no other alternative. Like, yes, I could have gone back and I could have done finance or management consulting or that stuff and I would have probably loved it. But my heart has always been, I want to be on stages. I want to be in front of people. I want to be, whether that's a stage of three people or 80,000, you want, you want to be able to touch somebody's life in a way that they walk away and they say, I love that. And that, and that, that, that has always been, for want of a better word, drug. Like, like every performer, like every artist, that picks up a musical instrument and just wants to convey what they're what, what they feel, no matter what level it is, and and, and that is the beauty. It's 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 it, it, in an art form where we, we we look for such perfection. It's really about can you do something beautiful enough that just affects somebody else, and that's all you got to do. And and when you do that, I think um, uh, you know it, it, it's a beautiful journey. But anyway, so so just to wrap that part up. Yeah, he, he was wonderful, and I'm still in touch with him 20 years later. Uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, he was just he was just great. And I came over to New York and um, uh, did my auditions. Um, I, 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 what's the word? I did such a horrendous audition for Juilliard. Like, it was the most, it was just, open that like swallow you up right it was it was it was horrendous and i did a pretty like my other two were fine so and they were pretty good so i ended up studying with sally thomas in in manus um and you know, i actually hope that this is probably a, the, the long-winded version of the questions you asked me but anyway bear with me i'm almost there um but you know and she was great by the way i'm loving all of this i, like, I love all of this that what you're saying and i I'm, I'm taking notes as we speak because there are a lot of topics that i yeah. resonate with and We'll, we'll get to all of it, but yeah, why don't you go ahead and and <laughs> do, do, do stop me or mute me or do whatever you need, whatever you need. But um, I, I don't think that'll make me a good podcast host if I just like okay, let's just mute the guests and yeah, now. So so I came over to Sally Thomas and I studied with with with, with Murat for, for 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 a number of years, and she was great. She was great. I don't think personally it was the right fit, but there's a lot of stuff that I appreciated. So I, you know. And, and that's the thing about teachers. You, there has to be an emotional fit. And that's why, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily, like I, I, I adored my first teacher so much because he, he got, he, he got it. And so she, she, look, she, she's a wonderful teacher, and, uh, but we didn't gel. Um, so after her, I went to a violinist by the name of Eric Friedman. 
uh, uh, who was, you know, he's, he, he was, he recorded with Heifetz, he was Heifetz's pupil and Milstein's pupil and, and Galamian's pupil. And he was just incredible, you know? So I uh, had a wonderful relationship with him. And I remember the first thing he said to me, you know, he said, cause I, I wrote to him, I said, look, I need help. And this is what I want to do. And this is what I, what, what I, what, what I'm not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel on how I need to do it. Um, I, I went up and I went up to his Yale studio, uh, took the train up one morning and, and he said, Greg, he said, you've got the most beautiful bow change I've seen in years. He said, um, but he said, unless you really get this and it's good, but it's, it's, it's nowhere where you need to be to do that, you know, to get to here. He said, you'll never progress any further. And I said, okay, Grant. Uh, and he said, I will teach you everything you need to know about the functionality of playing a violin in 12 lessons. You know, and, and he said, after that, he said, truthfully, if you really, really, really want to learn the musical side of this, you explore how uh, piano players, you know, with, with such a percussive instrument, uh, get such expressive uh, musicality. And, you know, uh, he and I just, I, 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 I will say this much, it was black and white. He made it so crystal clear uh, and his lessons were just incredible. And so, so I really... There was a part of him was there was a part storyteller which I adored, whether it's stories about Oystrak or 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 his lessons with 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 Friedman or sorry with with Heifetz or you know real life things on stage with Ozawa or whoever he had recorded with or with Previn or whatnot that just made sense uh, and um, yeah I, I you know he passed he, he passed a number of years after I started but he was just you know. But that's really how I sort of, that was my introduction into America. And and, and here you are, you stayed since. I stayed since, yeah. I sort of won a little competition. I've been working and touring and traveling and, you know, creating a niche and creating uh, uh, a way where you can entertain and perform concerts and classical series. And, you know, I write, and, you know, so, but yes, it's, so it's been, I will say this, it's been a beautiful journey, sometimes tough, sometimes exhilarating but just uh, it's been some journey yeah and people often forget that you have like these instagram violinists who have like over 40,000 50,000 followers you know they they go through their ups and downs too and i've and i've interviewed a few of them on the violin podcast and hope to interview many more but i want to touch base on a topic that we also discussed on the violin podcast is that bond between the student and the teacher and you know, you had a teacher for, what is it, 14 years, from 4 to 18. That's a quite a long time. And I share a very similar experience where I took violin lessons with my aunt for around 10 years, maybe a little over 10 years. And um, up until conservatory, I had a very similar situation. You know, but for one, she was family and, uh, and two, we also kind of gelled. But um, what was the advantage of like having a violin teacher for that long most students or most parents for that matter would want a student to or their kid to actually have different teachers to get different perspectives why go with this one teacher for 14 years i mean you you said that there was that emotional connection right uh, yes um good uh, great great question um i think uh trust was one so i i, I trusted him um you know, he he took me through everything progressively that I needed to go through, whether it was all the car flash, shout shake, 
uh, all the contrary. You know, he took me through all of this. There was certain things from a performance level on stage of sitting on stage, uh, you know, uh, that he couldn't take me through. But then, you know, there were certain things that Sally Thomas couldn't take me through either that Eric could and vice versa. You know, so there's, there's everything with, with, with different teachers. And I think it, it's, it's, it's their understanding of, with any teacher, it's their understanding of your needs right now. Um, and you look at any, you know, I'm a big believer if you want to learn, you, re, you, you read an autobiography, uh, you know, and I love sports and I love art. And, you know, you read Picasso, you read Alex Ferguson, you know, the, 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 or, or, or Vince Lombardi or whoever it is. And it's an ability to understand what's going on in the player or the student or their mind and how they're processing it, you know, because you might want to take them on this journey and there's a part of that that's too hard and it's too, and, and then you can navigate around that or you can, you, you, so he seemed to me to be, I was always comfortable and always very challenged, but I was never uncomfortable and, and just in a way where I didn't want to move forward or I said, well, I want to give this up or, you know, I mean, right. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that was, and he introduced me to the recordings of Heifetz, uh, who, I, and, and I was just, enthralled and Sid Kibitsky, uh, you know, uh, uh, and Ralph Holmes, you know, and, and all these uh, incredible violinists like the gamut. Um, and, you know, I just, it was, it was, he fueled the curiosity in a way that I always wanted to know more. And I think, I, th- I, I think, I, th- I think that, that that's one of the most beautiful things a teacher can do. Right. And I, and I totally agree with you on that because I realized that during the pandemic, it's also just creating a lot more value for the student you know we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about the business side of things as well yeah. in a moment but um, I think the successful teacher will of course inspire the student to learn more and create yeah. that curiosity I think that's super important like uh, what I've done that's worked in the past is just like send all my students like a listening assignment on like music that I'm passionate about and I think to me showing that oh the teacher is passionate about something then that passion can be can be passed down to the students and even the parents too i think you know a lot of making music and learning an instrument especially the violin takes a lot of dedication from the parents i think oftentimes you know you can't just kind of throw in your <laughs> your child into a lesson and be like i expect everything to kind of happen all at once it just doesn't happen yes yeah, so inspiring that curiosity is super super important that's what i've done with my students and you said that you were teaching a little bit during this pandemic yeah what were some of the things that worked for you during this pandemic as a teacher as a pedagogue because i'm sure that there are teachers and parents who are listening to this podcast or yeah. students for that matter, who are just like, well, I feel like I've done everything and we're approaching the fall. We might return to remote learning. What can I do more? Or what can I do that that can be better? Uh, first and foremost, I always think no matter what, what you know, and it's, it, 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 no matter what is faced, what, what comes in front of you, uh, there's always a way to look at it differently. There's always a way to look at it creatively and there's always a way to make it challenging. Um, you know, I will say that I've actually enjoyed Zoom lessons and in some, with some students, I've actually been more productive with them because they haven't had other, other distractions. They're just much more focused and it's, I've enjoyed that. Um, with some students, they, they, they wouldn't be, um, they haven't been so interested in, uh, it, 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 it's turning that ear on. Um, you know, in a way, so they haven't been interested in really listening or, rec- sorry, I should say recording themselves. 
so 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 pushing them to record and then analyze and then and just look you know uh, and to go deeper into something that they that for their inner ear and the sound that comes out aren't aren't matched so what they think they hear and the sound that comes out of the violin there's a disconnect and so so bridging that gap that's one of the things that i've found has been really really good for the students that i'm teaching um you know here there's obviously there's a sound I never, I don't, I don't actually, I, I don't mind this, the, the, like it's, it's, it's hard to get any, a, a definitive sound quality to show different tones, but it can be done. Um, yeah. But, and just, and just, I don't mean to cut you off. Um, what is the age group that you teach? Um, anywhere from about six to six to 18. Six to 18. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Generally I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. 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 And I, and I conduct, I have a, I have a, I have a, a group that I conduct as well. So, um, which was more of a challenge actually in this, um the pandemic but yeah so so i i have enjoyed it i think there's 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 ways to um there's always ways to challenge different skills with what with 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 with, when the landscape in front of you changes yeah and of course we're continuing to adapt as much as we can you know you see orchestras kind of reopening slowly in europe you know you see uh vienna you know berlin or you know berlin is doing concerts Berlin yeah. Phil, to, to be exact. Yeah. And um, however, like, I noticed that there are some photos that kind of peeked out on the internet that, you know, audience members are still doing some social distancing. I think, like, to be honest, the the testing and the, the control of the virus turned out to be a lot better controlled in Europe than it is in the US because, you know, because of wearing masks and whatnot. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. I think it comes down to, you know, and, and don't not, not getting political. I just think it comes down to a massive cultural, cultural difference, you know, and in Europe, I think they were a lot more okay with wearing the mask. I mean, there was one or two experiments that didn't work, whether it's Sweden and, and, and the, uh, the UK a little bit. But, right. Sweden decided to be like, yeah. nope, we're not, we're not doing yeah. the masks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's, look, it's, 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 it's how you get a culture on board uh, and, challenge them thinking about their norms in a way that's healthy and that's that that's the big problem in the u.s yeah definitely and um going off of going completely in a different direction from COVID 19 because we've talked about COVID 19 uh, quite a bit on the podcast and sometimes that could be a debbie downer right but i want to talk about what you mentioned about your business degree because yes. business degrees are important but you know how are you going to one of my passions is how to create this connection between business and music, especially in classical music, right? Because there are a lot of artists who are good at being artists, right? But then once they approach the real world, they have to win a competition that will offer them some management that will offer them concerts. And then the cycle goes on and on and on, unless you go to like a top conservatory like Curtis or Colburn or something like that. Right. So it's still hard. It's still hard. It's still hard. And honestly, it gets even harder. It doesn't get any easier um, for us um, as musicians. But, you know, hopefully with this podcast, it kind of educates the people who kind of need to listen to this and offer and hopefully you can offer some valuable advice. So what have you taken from your business degree into the music world? Because I think that's a that's a struggle for a lot of artists. Well, I'm I'm practicing so much, five yeah. hours a day, six hours a day. Even I know many of my quartet friends and colleagues who are like, you know, I'm practicing so much, but I don't I don't know how to adapt. I don't know how to earn money besides just doing an occasional wedding gig or yeah. trying to win a competition. So, what are your thoughts on that? And how 
did you approach the situation differently? Um, well, I, I, I think um, if I start on this, this is like Pandora's box for me because it's the one thing that I'm like the entrepreneurial side of this is so, so important because I've always sure. said I want to, you know, you can play your instrument, you can, but you also have to make a living and a good living. And there's, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it starts with realizing that as an individual quartet trio, whatever, whatever it is, is you, is you are, that, that you are, you're a product as opposed to the artist. And if you can detach yourself from the product, because the, the one thing that cripples us as musicians is the uh, rejection. And, you know, uh, we, 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 we have this, 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 this complete, um, uh, heartbreaking feel when we, when we get that rejection because we take it so personally. And I think once you, once you get past that and realize that you are offering a service, uh, that you are a product and, that there, there's a complete disconnect, then you can start making that, that transition. So it's, it's, it's from there you find where, like, nobody wants to hear uh, Greg Harrington play Beethoven if they have 140 other violinists who are offering to play Beethoven uh, and seven of them are, you know, you have your Josh Bell or, or Van Gerof or, you know, a whole hip. No, but if, if you are... So you, you're trying to find out where you're unique and where your niche is. Uh, and, and it's all about understanding, you know, I mean, and I always say this, you have to understand who your audience is because uh, there's no point in playing uh, contemporary music to uh, an audience that want to hear, uh, you know, crossover or, uh, you know, or, or jazz or whatever. So it's really, really about understanding your audience. And once, you know, um, finding you know, and then there are the so it's 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 about finding how are you different? How do you differentiate yourself? Why is your product so good? Why is it? Uh, why should there be any reason that the that the presenter doesn't hire you? Um, and from there, you know, you have your 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 list. For me, it's orchestras and festivals and. Uh, uh, and, and chamber music series or sorry, recital series and that's the traditional thing but the other part of that is then you know, knowing that your audience is, is so diverse so the part that I love is uh, you know, creating something that's new whether that's you know, I work with um, you know, depending on whether it's a jazz quartet or, or, and I write and, and arrange whether it's that or whether it's working with, with my two cellists um, uh, you know, and you create, you, you know, whether you're doing gala events or special um, private events for 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 um, uh, for, 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 for for a Fortune 500 company. Right. And by the way, just for the record, I mentioned wedding gigs and whatnot. Doing wedding gigs is not a bad thing. You know, I, I there are a lot of very successful companies, and I've done a plenty of wedding gigs too for Absolutely. different different occasions. And you never know who you might meet through those wedding gigs or through those, you know, fortune 500 events. So you really never know. All about networking and defining your audience and building your audience. And you're constantly building that audience. And the only way people will hear you or, or find out about you is if you, if, if you get out there and play. So weddings, anything, you know, so some of them will be your cash cow. Some of them, like there are certain concerts that you'll play that will have very little income, but they will be so rewarding. So, 
you might get some incredible reviews for it. You might get some, you know, you, you might get some fantastic footage. You might have a presenter in there. You might have an agent in there. So there's always a, a trade-off with some of those. Others, you might have an excellent fee. It, you know, it, it, it mightn't be the most delightful thing. You might, you might want to do some wedding music. You get, you get a nice fee. You know, it just, it just depends on, you have to bring all these things into the mix to make sure that you are, um, you know, you make sure you have a wide enough portfolio of services to offer that a lot of people can buy. And that was going to be my next point is diversifying yeah. yourself. You know, you don't, I mean, yes, you have to find a niche, yeah. right? But it's also important if you're starting out, if you're a young violinist listening to this podcast, it's kind of important to diversify a little bit first. So that way you understand what you don't like. Yeah. I think for me, yeah. you know, growing in my careers, I'm still growing, you know, we're all growing as violinists and artists, you know, we never stop growing. If we stay still, then, we'll, you know, we, we rot. But I think that, you know, there was a moment between my bachelor's and my master's where I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I mean, a, a lot of people who listen to the podcast are familiar with my uh, Utah Symphony audition where I went to Utah and I, t I did the first round didn't make past the first round but then on the flight back i'm like what am i doing like i did not find any joy in this process so yeah. that was very clear to me where i did not want to do that i didn't like doing it so i'm like okay well why bother and and i still practice my orchestra excerpts don't get me wrong it's like good a to practice and whatnot yeah. right but yeah. like for me it really offered me a lot of clarity offered yeah. me a lot of clarity because i now can i can cross it off my list i'm like okay maybe being a full-time orchestra musician is not for me. And yeah. maybe this is not for me. Maybe that's not for me. And then the moment you start kind of crossing those things off your list, then your vision and your niche becomes a lot clearer, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, so, so it's, it's defining your, your vision and your niche and knowing what you, what you want. But it's also, and there's one other thing that I would say about that is uh, that we take failure so personally, right? So... Um, you know, I, I would always say every every no is one step closer to a yes, uh, and you have to learn how to do processes, and you have to keep like. I will go out specifically not regarding failure uh, uh, as a negative thing because you learn so much a, about your character and and how you do it right, uh, and it's through that process uh, that, that that's the fascinating part for me. So, you know, I will test so many things on smaller audience on different audiences first and not be afraid to make those mistakes or not be afraid to, to just to, to go for it, knowing that it might not work. Uh, because then right. when you're in that high pressure situation where you have, whether it's for the UN, whether it's for, uh, on a concert, or whether you've got a phenomenal reviewer there, then you know, okay, I've done this before. I've done this so many times, 15, 25, 35 times. I know where my failures have been and I know how to navigate through this now. So I think that there's, uh, Character-wise, there's always something about not giving up, and, uh, and 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 always, if if you are true to your vision, nothing's going to stop you. Like it's you know, if you're really true to your vision, you know what you want. Nothing, not, nothing will stop you doing what you love and figuring out a way how to, how to get that. Of course, yeah. And uh, you talked about failures, right? Violinists, you know, we're always trying to strive for that perfection, right? Yeah. Because Beethoven violin concerto has been formed performed thousands if not millions of times already and we know how it sounds right so yeah. you know the moment you play a wrong note everybody's gonna know 
that you made a mistake, right? So that I think that is the downside of classical music. If I say that there's a lot of positive, but there's a downside that we oftentimes we look at these great concertos, these great sonatas, and we listen to them over and over and over again, and we it's we don't grow if we don't fail. That's just in anything in life. And violence, we have to learn how to fail. For one, we're used to failing, but then you add like the business side into the mix, then. You know that's the whole idea of being an entrepreneur, right? It's about trying, trial and error, and you know having a product. Will the product give me a return on investment? And I think all of those things need to be relevant in this day and age because I think the more violinists are out there, the more the more like niche driven you need to be.、Um, at first, like I said, you know you have diversified to see what you like and what you don't like. But then at the end of the day, find that niche. Make、yeah. sure you 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 like and you love that niche because you know I've said this before your tribe、uh, your vibe attracts your tribe, yeah, <laughs> and true. it's true, it's、know. so true. And I think that if you know who you are as a violinist, what kind of repertoire you like to play, you're going to attract that audience no matter what.、Yeah. So speaking of repertoire and music, you have a diverse portfolio of different kinds of music. You know, you have a Bach album.、Yeah. You're doing a Philip Glass. Tell me your thoughts on this music.、Um, I, I gotta say, look,、uh, music is—it's the closest thing to you know. Uh, uh, it's just beautiful. It's so you always have to play something that you organically feel and that speaks to you, and that you feel you can you can just give your interpretation on and, or put your stamp on what a composer is saying.、Um, You know, so whether that's James McMillan, who's this incredible Scottish composer,、uh, did an album of, of, of his material,、uh, or Bach, and, and like I've been fascinated with writing transcriptions, and it, it's all you know, it's it's always it's always part of the educate yourself and educate yourself, and you know, and so did orchestration and Juilliard and just it, it, all that sort of thing. Then you just you just have to.、Um, Jump in there and and, and 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 do what you love. So the Bach album was transcriptions and variations. So、uh, you know it's it was the Chicon and, and and a number of other beautiful pieces from the Sonatas and Partitas, plus the Toccata and Fugue. So I wrote a、uh, a, a transcription for that and, and and the and the Goldbergs the the aria from the Goldberg. And so so those things were things that were in my head for so long.、Um, The last album last year was a de- was was sort of dedicated to Miles Davis, and it's fascinating where, cl- like like classical, is every dot and every note and every slur and you know has such a distinct meaning within you know classical like Beethoven to Brahms, and they differ from those, and they all mean something so specific to you know Miles Davis, where you just get a lead sheet.、Um, Yet the end product is the exact same. You, you know, you are giving something to a listener that needs no alphabet to understand what the emotion is.、Uh, so anybody that sits down, they, you know, if you have the emotion and and you you just let go on that piece, whether it's Miles Davis, whether it's whether it's Ben Grab, and that listener will get that same enjoyment because it it's done so beautifully. So the Miles Davis album. Um, recorded with drums, bass, and piano, and it was very much that、uh, you know exploration of of the Charlie Parker sound,、uh, John Coltrane,、uh, 
Um, and because no one had ever done that on a violin before, you had some grappelli, you had Menuhin trying to do with, with grappelli, but nobody had ever, you know, the, you had a little bit of Nigel Kennedy doing it. So it was about trying to find that platform. And what I loved was the jazz magazines adored it. And I got such fantastic traction and, 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 and reviews from that. So it was really, that, 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 is, that is an album that I love uh, for that reason. Um, up to this one, you know, uh, this is this is recording Philip Glass's music, uh, and at the time, the American the American Four Seasons, which is a second violin concerto, um, has it's been recorded by Robert McDuffie, who was written for, uh, and who did a beautiful live recording with Marin Alsop and uh, uh, the, the London Symphony or the Toronto. Anyway, but it was beautiful recording, live recording, and then Gideon Kramer came out and just basically did Gideon, Gideon Kramer. He is the most impeccable. Uh, uh, you know, contemporary musician, musician in general. I mean, musician in general. Yeah, I mean, he is a phenomenal violin as a Gideon Kramer. I will say that, you know, as 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 violinists, we are so easy to knock other violinists without without having walked a mile in their shoe or without having even understand what they do. And there isn't a single violinist that I don't respect. I mean, that's true. You're you're so right. You know, you have a lot of people who are trolling on the internet and be like yeah this person plays all right but this person plays better yeah, right and, and it's and it's and it's it's like i think we're, we're we're in an age where um you have a person on the couch with opposable thumbs who just wants to you know who, who hasn't really got out there and done anything but who just wants to vent and that's great and good for them but it's i have just such respect for any violinist who gets up there and does it because it takes so much more to the uh, 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 and it's, it's it's an easy thing to knock so kramer i adore everything he does but it's just i i don't think you, i hear a, a contemporary recording of his where i question oh i don't think he should have done that it's just it sounds so logically beautiful what he does um so so those those those, those are the two recordings and i said i wanted to rather than try and recreate anything that's done i just, i and i wanted to give a slightly romanticized reading uh, of Philip Glass. Because I had that, you know, because Eric Friedman was just incredible and he had that influence of Hilton Milstein and Heifetz. And just, I love that sound. I want to see, you know, could I do something that nobody else had done? Because that's the, that's the only reason you do it, right? You know, is, is it unique? Because nobody wants to hear what everybody else has done. So, so it, it, like the recording I love, and it, 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 it's it, like anything, you're going to get people that don't like it. You're going to get people that do like it. You know, it is what it is. It's something that I am. Right. I, I love doing. And, and, and by the way, like, it's okay if people don't like your stuff too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. everybody has different tastes, you know, it's, like I, I can't tell you, like I did, I did a tour to Chicago two years ago and people liked the Browns more than they did the Beethoven Sonata. And, you know, like, and that was just like an interesting observation. I'm like, Oh, interesting. Okay. That's, that's interesting that you, that you, that you thought that I'm like yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah so so it's and that's and that's the detachment it's that it's wonderful when people do and it's it's perfectly fine when people don't but the other part of that album which I was really uh, I'm I'm so happy about is you know and and this this took so much work to do but I I've always loved movie music and always been in, you know attracted to 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 the sounds ever since Michael Giacchino did Star Trek in 2009. And the effect, like I never really listened so intently or understood that it was a, another character of a movie. Um, so I was I, at the hours, uh, which is um, Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman, uh, amongst others, is, is Philip Glass did the score of that. 
and it was a beautiful score. And I just said, you know something, for this album, I want to record the second violin concerto, but, but let, let me create a suite. Um, so I wrote, the, I, I picked the pieces, wrote this 18 minute uh, suite and very much a throwback to that Heifetz and Milstein transcription and Chrysler transcription. And it, or actually Heifetz and Milstein, because Chrysler has this saccharine, sweet, beautiful transcription uh, way, 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 way that he does it. Uh, and it was just, I wanted to throw back to that old for sort of virtuoso uh, violin way of doing it in within this contemporary minimalistic um, uh, framework. And it's a beautiful recording. Uh, you know, so I've, you know, and, and, and something like this takes so long to go through to secure the rights to not only write thing and make sure you can do it in, in such a small period uh, with, with an orchestra and make sure that everything is done so that when the orchestra go in, they just read because they, you know, because if you, you, the, the, the reality of it is they might not have time to rehearse it. That's uh, true. Yeah. And actually Christian Habel, who actually is a friend of yours, I, I, I know now, um, talks about that in his episode where, you know, yeah. you, you, you get the charts the day of, you got to read it. And if, if the composer or the orchestrator doesn't have the right markings, then that kind of ruins the flow of the session. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 and Philip Glass, there's a repetitiveness of it. So I remember we had a conversation and Mark, uh, uh, I actually met Mark uh, through studying, conducting with him. Cause I just, that was another thing I just wanted to, in order to really understand things more, you just got to go on the other side and feel what, what, what that connection is. And it took me in a, in a beautiful way, parts of stuff, parts of, parts of score reading, like parts of understanding the score that I hadn't before. And, and so that was beautiful. But Mark and I had this great relationship and, you know, so when he conducted, it was a it was a lovely. And this is the thing about trust. Uh, when you're working with conductors, if you if you, you know when you trust them, you can go somewhere in a very finite point. You know, and uh, in a very if you have four days to rehearse, then yeah, you can take your time and do things. If you have two days to record sixty minutes of music nonstop, uh, you know, you you really have to understand that the, the the relationship between the conductor and soloist, so that it's that there's there's so much nonverbal. And it, and it just goes but like even when we were doing that the double basis would say look this isn't this is just nuts like like the way glass has scored this so here's your option we can, we, we can rehearse it twice and record it once we can rehearse it once and record it twice or we can record it three times in a row your call but we're not doing it any more than three times so it's right it's, yeah it's, it does happen though it really does happen like at a session you're like you have such a limited amount of time yeah I, and time is we, money in a session so and you really have to know how to manage the time and be so like your project manager or everything and you just nail it down and some musicians don't want to be there some do some you know so it's it's you know when you have an orchestra of 60 60 musicians it's how you just energize each it, it's it's quite a it was it was a fantastic uh, recording experience, but like it, it's it is it is exhausting. So I've, and let this be a lesson for anyone who wants to get into the recording industry. Please give us parts that are prepared. Please, just like you know, just do us a big favor. If if you want us to like you, just like have everything done. You know, make sure all like everything is addressed, no mistakes. And I I, I guarantee like it, it's a lot of work, but I trust you. Trust me, it, it's worth it. So Maybe. worth it. And I'm sure Christian Habel is probably listening to the podcast and be like, yes, yeah. Eric. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. they're exactly talking the right uh, thing. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, the, the, you know, the, uh, there wasn't, like when I wrote this, 
I played every single part, uh, you know, and made sure, you know, it's, it's, it, it, you just have to be OCD about it because you don't, you don't have the time or the expense uh, to not be. And this recording that you did with the Anishek Philharmonic, was that uh, through your record label with a steel yeah. records? Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk about your record label because people who uh, are probably wanting to record something, they can probably do it indie without a no record label, but you founded a record label and you have four albums with this record label. Talk to us about how it feels or what it's like to start a record label and like what's, what are the ins and outs because you have that business degree, so you have this organization organizational skills that people need to run a, a record label like that. Yeah. But like, tell us, tell us what you did, what worked, what didn't and well, go from I, there. I think when I was starting out to record and I'd gone to so many uh, more indie labels uh, and had, had speak to, to, uh, conversations with managers and I'm thinking, you know, they all like, there was nothing, there was nothing attractive about any of the deals. Right. And, and that's across the board to any artist. Uh, and you don't have control of the branding, the imaging, the vision. You can do the 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 the. Uh, you record all the music. You provide the master. You put, you put all that expense in. Um, you know, in some cases, a label would say, "Look, you will you will earn money after you um, after you earn. We we sell a thousand CDs." And in 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 this in contemporary music. You know, even on Billboard, no way. You know, certain artists don't even sell five hundred CDs lifetime in a, in a recording, right? So that, like, like to to pay and just give so much money up for the master and just to give all the rights away, just didn't make sense to me. And then have no control over the publicity or the marketing. Again, the re yeah, right. The return on investment didn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so there, there was literally none. Zero. Um, yeah. So you know, I had a very long vision, and still, you know, so. I still, still, still know where the you know you, you know you know where your long, medium, short visions are, but I knew exactly where I wanted to go with this label and have the artistic creativity and just to 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 be the one that says yes, no, just decide photo shoots, uh, content, musicians you work with, uh, studios you work with, and it's like anything you network and you make phone calls and. Like, I think, I think there's, you know, there are certain days where you might do a 19 hour day and 18 of that will be on the phones or on emails or, you know, or, or just, just fine tuning every little small detail, you know, and, but you, you, you know, you have to give yourself the, 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 the leeway to say, okay, um, this is the time I need to do this. Maybe I don't take a, a concert here, you know, here on this time or that time or whatnot. And you can, you can pick, but it's, the 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 creative output and the creative control was the thing that I wanted because I knew what where, where I wanted to navigate this and 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 how to sort of release them and create that portfolio of uh, of work. Yeah, and you have control over the entire process. You know, I can't tell you how many times in my career where I'm like, this is not what I wanted. I did this, but this is not what I wanted. You know, like I had a, I have this vision in my head. This is not what it was supposed to look like. And um, I think that's, again, the beauty of that, like that entrepreneurial mindset where like, well, I can do it myself because I know how to do it myself. And that that's also a very important trait to know. Like if you have the confidence to do something, then do it. 
Yeah. And especially as a musician, like don't worry about being perfect right away. You know, like before I started the violin podcast, I had like, I've done maybe 45 episodes of my other podcast, which is everyday yeah. musician, you know, like you, you yeah. learn along the way. And Absolutely. I think, yeah, you learn along the way. And I'm sure like when you were starting your record label that you, it, it wasn't like perfect off the bat. Right. No, no, no. But I mean, I, I think it's Richard Bronson. Uh, you know, he, he had an interesting quote uh, and he said, always say yes and then figure out, figure out how to do it after you've said yes. Like he said, because, you know, if, if you don't, you'll lose the opportunity. And in a lot of cases, it's even with, you know, it's even with, with, with music. And I think we can all relate to this where, you know, you will learn a piece of music in exactly the amount of time you are given to learn it. If you have three months, you will learn it by the end of that three months. If you have 10 days, you will get on stage and you will, get, and you will do it. So Yeah, whatever it takes. Yeah, we, we were conditioned. So, so if you have an opportunity, it's about, it's about not, not being worried about the failure of it, but jumping in because you, and, and figuring out and, and, and having that sink or swim mentality where this has got to work, failure is not the option, or, and, or, and, and having that modified view of failure. Because I think as artists, we have just pure perfection and nothing else. But, you know, just keep going on because there's no process. I don't think there's any process business-wise where your first attempt is the final product that goes out to the public, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, totally agree with so, that. So yeah. In, in, in that way, you know, put up your draft, uh, design your CD, see what it looks like. And then if that doesn't go, well, then make your, make your, keep polishing, keep refining, keep, it's the same process with music. It's the same process with writing. It's the same process with, with arranging, you know, it's, it's just refine, refine, refine. And, and, and it's like, it's like a snapshot. It's like a photo in time. Uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, and you will say this, like if, if you return to a piece 20 years from now that you recorded now, you'll have a completely different view of it. I know I've, I've, I've different views, but that's how we evolve. So it's uh, of what I recorded, you know, 15 years ago. But I think that's the beauty of music in okay. general, right? Like you're always trying to be better than the, the, the previous performance. Yes. Yeah, always. Yeah. And I think that's, that's true in business too. You know, you're creating a product that yeah. you, you want, you want to be better when it's version 2.0. Yeah. It needs to be, version 3.0 needs to be better than version 2.0. And oh, it's just sure. like every yeah. single, every single album, every single product, it's, it's not going to start. It may not start the way you want it at first, but then as time goes on, if you continue to commit and yeah. do the work and perform on stage, then you'll, you'll have a lot of success. So I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Greg, I'm, I'm having a blast talking about this Great. conversation with you yeah. and I, we can, we can spend hours on this on end, but, uh, before we go, I kind of want to, you know, leave with some, some closing thoughts. Okay. Where do we, where do we see ourselves in, in, in the music world? I'm not just going to say classical music, but in the yeah. violin world, where do we see ourselves like at the, by the end of 2020 and 2021, you know, a lot of people are predicting different things. Do you have a prediction and, or do you have a thought on, you know, when concerts will be safe to go again? Because I think people are craving that, that connection, that communication, that, that, artists give to the audience i think you know yeah. even for myself as an artist i want to be able to share a message of some kind to my audience but i can't do that and you know like we have the virtual performances and you know that's like a stepping stone right yeah. but 
you know, it's not, it's not like the real deal. It's not like going in person. So I want, I want to know your thoughts, some closing thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, I think look, everybody's going to be different and, um, it's going to take a while for classical music to come back to, to what we had. And I'm not sure it will for, for a number of years, even at the end of 2020, 20, even 21, who knows? Um, I think in America, in the U S especially, um, we're going to have to evolve, uh, if we want to survive in the short term. Um, you know, and realizing that it's all about your audience. So who, whatever your audience is, um, knowing that they want to have content, right? And, and, and there's a fine balance between being zoomed out and, and, and wanting, wanting, wanting to look at content. So if you can put a quality product up in front of them, they're going to love it. Um, they're going to love, even if that means it's not a completely perfect, they're going to love that, the, that they'll get the raw passion from you. They'll, they'll, get, they'll get you as an artist. Uh, so whether that's with your quartet or, or trio or whatnot, so that's that's going to define how people want to want, want to break forward. I think for me, um, you know, in the shorter term, trying to find how to, and I think I almost have it. Is it's it's not about because because everybody's getting up there and 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 sorry, there is there there's a, a commonality of people that are getting up with, with sort of a, you know Facebook Live and whatnot, and it's a lo-fi um and it's a and it's a it's it's a very informal thing but there's a way to do it where you've got a very high-end uh setup where and you know i mean if for example you know uh you could you can go into a beautiful studio uh live stream beautiful lighting and you can take that into let's say a ceo's home live stream for for for, for them on a big screen for their dinner party for four or five people and or, or for 12 people or whatever it is and you're doing your you know your your, your 10 minute 15 minute gala experience and it's personalized so if he loves springsteen or you know because I, I i love writing transcriptions and you know whether it's johnny cash or nine inch nails or you two or you know and, and because then you know that's another audience of people who love that stuff um but you know if you can make that highly personal um, then they're getting the unique experience. So again, it's putting it, it's about finding out what the audience needs, what, what the audience will want to pay for and finding that price point. Um, you know, and I think, so, so that, that, that's the way to make, maybe make money. Uh, you can then, you know, I'm working with the Irish Rep Theatre about going in and live, live streaming with there and working with the Morgan Library about, you know, you know, can I get, instead of a, an orchestra, can I, can I, for, for, for this Philip Glass, for, for the hours, can we do five musicians, uh, microphones, everything socially distant and, and, and create something beautiful uh, for that, which maybe, you know, um, because there's such a high production cost, there's sync fees from Sony, there's, there's licensing from Shermer, there's everything, even though it's a piece that I wrote, you know, uh, uh, can I make that break even, you know, so, so it's, but the artistic, the, the artistic side of that is, 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 is really beautiful. And, and can I get enough people in online to, to see what I'm doing? So it's, I think it's, it will be about in the shorter term, just figuring out how to stay relevant and in front of your audience. I think in the medium term is, can you, you know, uh, and, and put your safety at first, uh, always. Your safety is always first. Do you research, do you listen to your science? But is there a way then where we can get small chamber groups, 
uh, into bigger spaces and maybe only get, you know, 15% of the audience in there and understand that venues always like to make money, venues need to operate on, a, on, 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 on almost a full house. So be willing to say, okay, I'm going to take a cut in fee. Um, because by economically, the, 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 the bread isn't, you, you, there's only so many, many ways to split it. So you, and if it's this small, you've got to take a smaller cut. But on the flip side, I understand that I'm getting out to my audience and my audience are seeing me and I'm still staying relevant and they're still getting, um, you, know, you, you, know, you know, quality. And from there, just, you know, I would start reaching out to presenters now. Uh, and fostering a relationship, not you know, and, and that's the that's that's the biggest thing I think. Um, uh, that's the biggest takeaway where you always want to foster a relationship that's a long term relationship, as opposed to you go in and say, "I want to play in your series. Can you help me?" Well, somebody's not going to even read that email. But if you're there and say, "Look, I know what your audience is. I feel what you're. Uh, you know, I, I know you program this, and here is something we can do. This adds value to you. This adds value to your series. This is. It's always got to be a value-added product. So, I think when you when you start developing those relationships where you're always looking to add value to a presenter, then that they're the ones that are going to be interested in you to invite you back and. You know, think about your market. Whether that's uh, you know a micro micro market, which is which which can be lucrative. If you work out how to do, let's say, just take your community. There can be a couple of things you can do in your community. You can work that into your city. You can work that into your state. You know, uh, just because you know we we have this tendency of thinking, I want to conquer the the, the globe. You can you can you can manage your, you can define your audience by your micro market, your your your, your community, your city. I think I think that that's the way I'm thinking of this, and just to try and be ahead of the curve as opposed to be reacting to the curve, um, you know, in, in, in trying to move this forward. But I think with everybody, just make some music, be happy, connect with others in whatever way you can, and just foster great relationships and evolve with this. And I think that's how we're all going to get through this. Really couldn't have said it better myself, Greg. Thank you so much for coming on to this week's episode of the Violin Podcast. And thank you uh, for offering your wisdom, uh, business-related, violin-related, how you started a record label. I think there was a lot of great value for our audience today. And if you found a lot of great value in Greg's interview today, please make sure to subscribe. We have many more episodes coming on our way. And uh, we hope to have you on board in the in the next episode of the violin podcast and greg i hope to interview and actually meet you in person this time you know when when things open up again then hopefully you know that maybe maybe we can go to dublin together and grab that guinness because i think we could really use one right now (laughs) eric listen i want to say thank you uh you're doing such wonderful work and informing uh your audience and 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 the violin audience in general uh i've actually loved this and i've loved you know because it helps me you know verb verbalize certain things in my head but it's you've been a great host and um keep getting great guests and uh i am a uh, subscriber will do I'll-